Milwaukee Peak. How are we doing at 11 o'clock? There we go. The coffee has kicked in. It is good to be with you once again, whether you're joining us in the building, whether you're joining us online. And like Joel said, if you're local and available, get here. We would love to see you. If you and I have not had a chance to meet yet, my name is Dre. I'm one of the teaching pastors here. And this is your first time. Special welcome to you this weekend. So we're gonna go in and go into our time of teaching. Like a couple things that Joel said. First of all, no, my team is not in the Super Bowl. Secondly, I hope you got those message note sheets ready to go. They're a great tool to follow along with this time of teaching. But before we go into this time of teaching, for those of you that have been here the last several weeks in this series, I wanna ask a very honest and a rhetorical question. How's your heart doing? How's your heart? Michael told us at the beginning of the series that it was gonna be really challenging, didn't he? And I think for some of us, we didn't fully understand what that meant. But as we've gone through some of these weeks, if I introduce a different word, I think there are many of us that as a result of this series that are wrestling and myself as well, but we're wrestling for a lot of different reasons. There are some of us that are wrestling because this series is challenging some deeply held beliefs or views that we had, even about Jesus himself. There are some of us that we're wrestling because this series is bringing clarity and words to the reality of the world we face and the direction that our culture is heading. There are some of us that are honestly wrestling because there is a negative voice in our heads and our hearts going, you are not smart enough for this series. And again, brother and sister, that is a lie. You've been given God's spirit. There are some of us that we're wrestling because it's kind of added a unique level, level to some of our life groups, that there's some people that are really, really growing and some people that are really, really struggling and we need to lead towards that. For me, as I find myself wrestling kind of these dual paradoxes that at the same time, God is like, you are not as smart as you think you are. And at the same time, God is saying, you are too smart for your own good sometimes. And so I wanna affirm that, that if you're wrestling, you're exactly where God has invited you to be. Wrestling is good. God not only invites us into wrestling, he specifically creates situations and opportunities for wrestling because wrestling is meant to be a catalyst to lead us to him. There are truths about Jesus and his love for us that we can only experience in the midst of wrestling with God. And so with that, as we get ready to go into our time of teaching in every way imaginable, spiritually, physically, emotionally, mentally, take a breath. You got this because of God's spirit in you, amen? All right, I'm ready to give you everything I got. Let's pray. King Jesus, as we were singing that song and we talked about the saints, those that went before us, as we talked about people like Mary, as we talked about like people like Joseph, their story that you invited them to be a part of is the same story you invite us to be a part of. These names, these saints that went before are not detached names, but we have the opportunity to call them brother and sister because of you and your grace. And so Jesus, one particular line from that song, you were savior then and you are savior now. And we plant our feet on that truth. You are our savior. You are bigger than our sin. You are bigger than our circumstances. You are bigger than our culture. You conquered all on your cross. And here we are to say, King Jesus, we are your people. And so as we go into this time of teaching, as I often pray the words of John the Baptist, may you become more, may I become less. But John is my hero for many reasons, but he doubted and wrestled at times too. 
And you revealed yourself in great ways in the midst of that. And so Jesus, it's not just me. Together, we are here to give you everything we've got because you give us everything you have. And it's in your name, King Jesus. We all said, amen. Rocky Peak, I wanna start this morning by going back in time. When I was 17 years old, this is about the year 1998 or 1999, me and my core group of friends, we all had annual passes to Disneyland. And that was back in the glory days of that. And what I mean is that there was only one pass option. There were no blackout days. There was no reservation and it even paid for parking. Come on. And so because of that, it was a very common occurrence for me and my friends to load up in a car on a Friday or Saturday afternoon and head down there. And so this one particular Saturday, we were doing just that. And we were at that point on the five freeway when you've just passed Dodger Stadium, when you've got the skyline of LA to your right, and you've not yet reached a point where the five and the 10 split off. Do you know what I'm talking about? And we were there when everything just stopped. Now again, being born and raised in Los Angeles, I'm used to LA traffic, but this was something more. This was those moments where you just come to a dead stop and barely crawl a little bit. And so my, one of my best friends, Trent, who was driving, we saw an opportunity to get off the freeway. And what he does is he reaches down under his chair and he pulls out a Thomas guide. Who remembers a Thomas guide? Now, there are many high school and young adult students here, so let me explain. In the, in the dark ages of the 90s, before GPS, Google Maps, and Apple Maps, which never works, before that, we had a bound book that had maps of quadrants and blocks, and this sucker was thick, all right? But every teenager that drove, we knew how to use a Thomas Guide. We had used it before, we trusted it. So we got off the freeway, Trent throws the Thomas Guide and we got to work. It looked like NASA trying to launch a space shuttle. We opened it up and started going through and Trent is driving through the streets and he's calling out street names. He's like 20th and Pasadena or he's calling out landmarks. We just passed USC Medical Center, but here was the problem. We were in a hurry and we were moving faster than we could keep up with the Thomas Guide. Because if you remember the Thomas Guide, it only has a small window of blocks. And so we're flipping, we're flipping, we're getting frustrated. And finally, we just closed it and abandoned it and instead decided to trust our guts. (laughs) I don't need to tell you how that went. (laughs) But what's so interesting to me when I look back on that, is even though trusting my gut got us even more lost, I put the blame on the map. I blamed the Thomas Guide. And in fact, that incident left me jaded for a while after that where I would use the phrase, Thomas Guides don't work. Don't even bother with it. Now, as I share that story, many of you understand that there is a significant flaw in my thinking there, isn't it? Had we simply stopped and pulled over, had we simply paused to think about the situation and to think about the map we had, 
we would have realized that in fact, that Thomas guide was the best tool to get to our preferred destination. And I think that's a really powerful illustration to remind us of the heart and vision behind this series that we're gonna continue today. See, if you're here for the first time, we're at about the halfway point of a series called Worldview, Renewing Your Mind. And so we understand the terms we're using there in your note sheet, and I'm going a little bit out of order. We've been defining worldview as this. A worldview is our big picture of reality. It is based on our deepest assumptions about the most important questions of life. And so through this series, we've been addressing the truth that everyone has a worldview, but not everyone has the same worldview. And so which worldview is the one we should base our lives around? And so as we've been examining several different worldviews, including a biblical Christian one, we've been asking the questions, what do you believe and why do you believe it? And our hope in our heart is that by going through this, we can see that the biblical worldview is not only true, but it's reasonable and it's the only one that corresponds with reality. And again, as I go back to the opening story with the Thomas guy, something I think about is a couple of weeks ago when Joel was teaching, he talked to us that this is an opportunity to learn how to think well and think deeply about our faith. And the reason why that is so important is that we live in a world of spiritual warfare. Spiritual warfare is a very real thing and the enemy is seeking to kill and destroy. And one of the key ways that the enemy is looking to destroy is to destroy our ability to think well about our faith. We see this in our culture, but we also see it within the church as well. And when we don't pause to think well about our faith, it leads to a superficial and a small faith that is easily abandoned in the midst of trials or challenges. But the beautiful thing of what God has done is that when we learn to accept that invitation to think well and think deeply about our faith, it leads growth in our hearts. We don't have to pick one or the other. God has created us so that when our head is growing, it leads our hearts to a deeper experience of the person of Jesus. And so with that foundation and that vision recast, I want to go ahead and continue, not just the series, but a topic that Michael began last week, which is the topic of truth. And so to help orient us, I want to invite you, open up your Bibles. If you got your apps, turn them on. We're going to be going to John's gospel, chapter 18 in John's gospel. Now, the Gospel of John is one of the four accounts of the life and teaching of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and then the fourth one, John. And we're gonna be going to John chapter 18, and I'm gonna be starting at verse 36. Now, this is a very famous event in the life of Jesus. He's standing before Pontius Pilate on the road to his crucifixion. And in verse 36, Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. But now my kingdom is from another place. Verse 37, you are a king then, said Pilate. Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. In fact, the reason I was born and came into the world is to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. Verse 38, what is truth? 
retorted Pilate. What is truth? What a beautifully honest and important question. Truth is one of the, if not the most important question that every worldview needs to wrestle with and every worldview needs to address. What is truth? So let's go ahead and do just that together and dig right on in. Inside your note sheet, you've got a section titled, So What is Truth? And as we kick our time off, it's important that we clarify the questions and understand what is it that we're actually asking. And so your first fill-in in that section, how is it possible to know anything? How is it possible to know anything? Now that is an incredibly philosophical question, isn't it? But it's also a very important question when it comes to fact or when it comes to truth, how do we know that it's fact? How do we know that it's true? Is it the result of chemical reactions? Is it the result of culture or geography? Is it the result of shared experiences or personal experiences? Is it the result of people in power or a government? Is it the result of the scientific method? Is it the result of the supernatural, whether a higher power or a higher plane of existence? How is it possible to know anything? Again, that's a really good question, huh? But I wanna propose it's the wrong question for what we're trying to get to. Because as good of a question that is, it's what I call a surface level question. There's actually a deeper question to get at this that we need to unpack because the deeper question will actually answer this one. And that's your second fill in. Who or what has the authority to determine truth? Who or what has the authority to determine truth. And so when it comes to truth, the reality is it is an authority issue. Because if we think about how we are naturally, we understand that in situations in which we are trying to persuade or convince, in situations in which we are debating or disagreeing, we all seem to naturally understand and agree that someone simply saying that is true is not enough. Because if you find yourself in a situation in which you're trying to persuade someone, you tend to appeal to something you find authoritative. And so the question for every worldview is what or who is that authority? So let me illustrate this. For many of us, we've already encountered one of the deepest and most heated debates in our culture today. For some of us, we got to prepare for that. And that's the question of where in Southern California do you find the best donuts? And so if I am in this debate, my answer is going to be a small building in the city of Azusa called the Donut Man. Now, these are their signature strawberry donuts. This will change your life and this will end your life. (laughs) But it's a good day to die when you're at the donut, man. (laughs) So if I'm trying to convince you of this, I'm gonna appeal to something that I find authoritative. 
And so let me give you a couple examples of that. I might appeal to you by speaking about my personal experience, who I am in my story, whether it's my enjoyment of it, whether it's my donut wisdom, whether it's my age, or why should I be considered an expert? And so in that example, I myself am authoritative. Or maybe I will use the tact of appealing to the ingredients they use, to the process of the cooking and baking itself. And in that example, what is tangible is authoritative. Or maybe I'm gonna appeal to the fact that this isn't just my opinion, but there are thousands of satisfied customers. Maybe I'm gonna open up Yelp and show you all of the reviews and show you that there is a large group of us that believes that. And so in that example, the collective or consensus is authoritative. And I could go on and on, but does that make sense? See, the reality is that we all know that for something to be true, there needs to be an authority behind that. So again, the question is who or what is that authority? And so what I wanna do is I wanna look at a couple of worldviews and answer that question for those worldviews. So there in your note sheet, you've got a section titled Two Familiar Maps. And I'm gonna look at the same two worldviews that Michael unpacked last week, naturalism and postmodernism. And if you were here last weekend, Michael did a deep dive into each of these worldviews. I'm just gonna be fairly brief, but if you want to catch up on that or need a refresher, that's on our YouTube page. You can catch that message there. But why I'm coming back to these two worldviews is naturalism and postmodernism spill into other several other worldviews. So these are big, big buckets that help us understand several others. So naturalism, you're filling there. Their authority to determine truth would be the material and the physical. Naturalism would say that the authority to determine truth is the material or the physical. And again, just briefly, in a naturalistic view, there is nothing beyond the material. There is nothing supernatural. The cosmos, the universe is all that is. And so our ability to think and reason, our ability to, pursue, to, to uh, interpret through our senses, through the scientific method is all a result of the material. And so in a naturalistic worldview, they would say that all truth needs to be rooted in the tangible and the material. And so to illustrate this, a couple of times we've quoted the very famous and the very brilliant Carl Sagan, who talked about that the cosmos is all there is and all there ever will be. But to again, to illustrate this for us, I wanna quote another great thinker, and that's Han Solo from Star Wars. <laughs> when he says, hokey religions and ancient weapons are no match for a good blaster at your side, kid. And what's he getting at in that scene? If I can't see it, if I can't touch it, it's not true. Now, one thing that Michael talked to us last weekend about is that there is truth found in several other worldviews. And when we find that, we wanna affirm that truth. We wanna affirm those truths when we encounter them. And so in a naturalistic worldview, something that I appreciate is the fact that yes, 
We can encounter truth in the material. Yes, we can encounter truth in the universe. What I would do is I would actually use the word, we can experience God's truth in the created. And I'm gonna come back to that later. But again, there's a problem with this in terms of the natural being our authority. Something that we've talked about throughout this series is that it still doesn't speak to the immaterial. It doesn't speak to the issue of morality. It doesn't speak to the issue of purpose. It doesn't speak to the issue of an emotional response. Now, on the other end of the spectrum, so to speak, is postmodernism. And postmodernism would say that the authority to determine truth is the individual. That the authority to determine truth is the individual. Because in postmodernism, it doesn't believe that we are all part of one large story. If you want to sound really fancy at lunch afterwards, the term would be meta-narrative. Postmodernism doesn't believe that there is an overall meta-narrative. The world does not speak, only we do. And so therefore, your truth is true, and someone else's truth is true, and there doesn't seem to be an issue even if they conflict, although there really is. But also postmodernism would say that you can't trust the truth of history. You can't even trust the truth of what you see and perceive with your attention. It implies that we are unreliable narrators and that's okay. And I think this is illustrated well. I'm a very proud comic book geek. And there's a quote by the Joker, Batman's arch nemesis, that is... That's from a very iconic uh, story from the late 80s in which he says this, sometimes I remember it one way, sometimes another. If I'm gonna have, going to ha if I'm gonna have a past, I prefer it to be multiple choice. <laughs> but there's something I appreciate of the postmodern worldview. And that's that honest postmodernism is, is telling us that people are flawed and can't be trusted. And you know what? That's right. We are flawed and can't be trusted to experience truth on our own. But a key problem with postmodernism in multiple areas is the fact that we can't deny that there are such a thing as absolute truths. Even in the simple in the everyday, Joel used an example two weeks ago that if I walked up to you in the parking lot and said, your car is also my car, we would probably have a conflict because those two truths can't coexist. There is such a thing as an absolute. So that's a brief view of those two key worldviews. But the question is, so then in a biblical worldview, who or what determines truth? And as I say that, immediately many of us go to God. And yes, but we can't leave the answer there. We need to dig deeper into what does that mean specifically. We need to attach words and we need to attach clarity. We need to attach something, I'm gonna unpack a little bit, theology to it because this is an opportunity and an invitation to learn how to think well and think deeply about our faith. So let's unpack that together. There on your note sheet, you've got a section titled The Truth About Truth. That's a clever title, right? Yeah, I stole it from a pastor from years ago. And the fill-in is this. God actively declares truth through revelation. 
God actively declares truth through revelation. And so if a biblical worldview says that God is the authority that determines truth, there are several specific things that we believe as a result of that. The first is that God has been and God continues to actively communicate with his creation and through his grace in ways that we can both know and understand. And so already that's a significant difference from a worldview such as deism that does believe that there's a God or a higher power that started this journey called life and then leaves us to continue that journey on our own. But another thing that we have to embrace as part of this worldview is that God, if God is the source of truth, that means when he speaks truth, he is speaking with authority. He is speaking with authority and, and Christ followers, or let me be honest with myself, this is often where my heart, this is often where our hearts get into conflict with God. Because when we learn God's truth through scripture, when we seize what he commands, sometimes we conveniently, excuse me, let me point the finger back at me. Sometimes I conveniently forget that these are not suggestions. These are commands. The king is issuing command. And the difficult thing is there are times when God's truth doesn't align with what I want to be true. There are times when God's truth doesn't align with my feelings or my hopes or my desires or my plan for life, but that doesn't make it not true. If we believe that God is the authority that determines truth, then we need to believe that his truth is authoritative. And so in this worldview, to hold it means that our response is beautiful submission. It's what we call at Rocky Peak, listening and following to the authority of King Jesus. And that word submission is loaded for so many of us for a variety of reasons, but we need to reclaim it from hurt, from sin, from our culture, and understand that as Christ followers, submission is the path to life through experiencing God's truth to saying, you are God, I am not, and that is the best place I could possibly be. And the third thing I want to clarify about this, about this truth is revelation. And that sounds really religious, doesn't it? But at its core, it means that God reveals. And again, this is a declaration of authority that we don't experience truth on our own, but it is through God revealing truth that he makes plain what was once hidden. And so what I wanna do under this is there's a very natural and a beautiful question. Well, if God reveals truth, if God is actively revealing truth, how does he do it? And so there are three key ways through which God reveals his truth. I'm gonna go through the first two somewhat briefly, but the first two are terms you would encounter if you find yourself studying theology. And I said, I wanted to come back to that word in a little bit, right? Because sometimes, and this is a sidebar, theology tends to scare people, that word or the implication. But at its core, 
At its simplest, theology is the study of God. Theology is an opportunity to learn how to think well and think deeply about the truth of God. And hear me, theology is not meant to be reserved for the theologians, for the scholars and the academics. Theology is for all of God's people. And so with that, Let's go into the first term. The first way that God reveals truth, you're feeling, is through what we call general revelation. God is actively declaring his truth through general revelation. And so what that means is that general revelation are ways in which God reveals himself. In other words, in which God reveals truth to all people. And there are various means in which he does this, but one of the most important, one of the key examples is through creation. That God reveals himself and God reveals his truth through what he has created. And so two weeks ago, Joel did a deep dive on one example of this and that's nature itself. And again, if you weren't here, I would encourage you. That was a fantastic message and it's up on our YouTube page. But one thing that Joel quoted was Psalm 19 that says, the heavens declare the glory of God. That is an example of God revealing himself through creation. But not only that, I wanna focus on a second example and that's that God, through general revelation, he reveals himself through people, through us. And what I mean by that is we are created beings. Can we pause and rest in that truth for a moment? You are a created being, whether you have come to know your creator or not. And because we are a created, we are created beings, we have the fingerprints of our creator written on our hearts. In the book of Romans chapter two, the apostle Paul says that God wrote his law. In other words, his truth in our hearts. And for many of us, we know that before we came to know that Jesus is the truth, we saw those fingerprints coming out in various times in our lives, didn't we? Let me give you a couple of key examples that we experience as created beings. We've talked a lot through the series about morality. And if you take an issue like murder, the numerous people, if not the majority of people, would tell you that they naturally feel that murder is wrong. In fact, we need to work hard to suppress that natural truth that's been written on our heart. And unfortunately, the reality of sin, and some of us are successful of that, But why do we need to fight so hard to suppress that? Because our hearts have God's fingerprints on them. Let me use a different example. Not morality, but prayer itself. Have you ever noticed that when faced with tragedy, that there is almost an instinctual reaction in people, not just the people of God, but in people to respond to that tragedy with prayer? And where does that come from? The fact that we were created by God himself. In fact, this was illustrated really beautifully just recently in the NFL of all places. Several weeks ago, Damar Hamlin, who's in his early 20s, a second year year player for the Buffalo Bills, on a Monday night football game against the Cincinnati Bengals, takes a hit in a freak accident and goes into cardiac arrest. 
They had to resuscitate him, get his heart started right there on the field. And the response of the teammates, the response of the training crews and the coaches was to pray. And if you follow football, often at the end of the game, you will see players praying, but it's usually groups of like five or six. These were entire teams that looked at something tragic, their brother going down. And the response, whether they know Jesus or not, was we need to pray. And it wasn't just limited to those teams. That was the response of the NFL. It was beautiful and extraordinary that in a culture that is increasingly saying, you can't say publicly, you're praying for someone, that the entire NFL stood behind the phrase, pray for DeMar. In the week that followed, every last team's social media picture changed to the message, pray for, pray for DeMar. Dan Orlovsky, who's a former NFL player, he's a current ESPN analyst on NFL Live, on live television, prayed in the name of Jesus. And where does that response and that instinct come from? From the fact that we are created beings. There in your note sheet from Romans chapter one, the apostle says, for what can be known about God, for what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. The examples we went over, nature, us in the things that have been made so they are without excuse. So one way that God reveals truth is general revelation. The next way, the second fill-in is special revelation. What's called special revelation. And this is God revealing himself or revealing his truth, but it was initially given to a specific person or a specific group of people. And so some key examples of special revelation in scripture is the burning bush in Moses. Another example would be God speaking directly to the prophets of the Old Testament. Another example would be the angel coming to Mary and then coming to Joseph to tell them about the Christ that is about to be born. So those are key examples of special revelation. But what I would say is the most important example of special revelation is the Bible itself. We were not the original recipients of scripture but scripture is for us. Scripture is for you today. And not only that, but if you've heard me teach before Rocky Peak, I often use a phrase that the Bible is more than ink on a page or words on a screen. The Bible is a literal miracle because this is God's voice. And the book of Hebrews, it refers to the Bible as being living and active. And when we engage with scripture, it reveals truth. There in your note sheet, one of my favorite passages from 2 Timothy 3, all scripture is God breathed. When God breathes, he breathes life into people and into creation. 
And so scripture is a source of experiencing God's life. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. And you might look at that list and go, I only like two of the things on that list. But they're all necessary to experience life and truth so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Scripture is a miracle. And when we go back to spiritual warfare, when we understand scripture for the special revelation that it is, is it then any wonder that the enemy will fight like literal hell to keep you out of it? Because he knows if you engage with it, you're gonna experience life and you're gonna experience truth. Now, general revelation and special revelation are incredibly important in ways that God uses to reveal his truth. But the third way that God reveals his truth is what I would call the ultimate revelation of that. So there on your note sheet, the ultimate revelation of truth is Jesus himself. The ultimate revelation of truth is Jesus And so go ahead and open up your Bibles again. We're gonna stay in John's gospel, but just go a little bit to the left of chapter 14. And in John chapter 14, starting at verse five, Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you are going, so how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. Let's hear that again. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Jesus is the ultimate revelation of God's truth. And so as we unpack this, what I love is that Jesus doesn't simply say, I'm gonna tell you what God's truth is. Jesus personifies it and goes, look at me. I am a living declaration of what is true. I am a living declaration of God's truth. And so when we look at Jesus, what truth do we encounter? The answer to the biggest question we have in life, the purpose of this entire series. When we look at Jesus, we see the answer to the question of identity, but it doesn't start with us. It begins with the revelation of God's identity. God is creator. God is brilliant. And because of Jesus, the truth is we can now call God father. And so what does that mean about us? When we look at Jesus, he declares that the truth is now that you and I are beloved sons and daughters of God the Father. What else does Jesus declare? Well, when we look at Jesus, we see God's truth as to what the, why is the world such a messed up place? What's the problem? And the uncomfortable truth we see in the teachings of Jesus is that we are. Sin steals kills and destroys. But not only that, Jesus declares the truth, God's truth, that he and his cross is the solution to our problem. That he died, he crucified sin. And when he rose again, he unleashed grace and mercy and forgiveness and identity. 
When we look at Jesus, he declares the truth about purpose and morality that now as people that have experienced the risen Jesus, as people that are being transformed by Jesus, he is inviting us to live as he did. And we're not gonna be perfect on this side of heaven, but he's even given us his spirit to lead us to do what we could not do on our own. And we don't choose to be quote good or good behaviors out of obligation, but because of Jesus, the truth is we get to do it out of joy. When we look at Jesus, we see that God's truth is that he as creator did not create us to be alone in this. How does your heart feel when you encounter that a someone who was a stranger or a coworker and you find out they're a Christ follower? There seems to be an immediate connection with them, right? That is a wonderful gift. It's why we gather as the church in these large group gatherings. It's why as a church, we build our church on what we call life groups because God built us to do life together. And our life groups are incredible. My life group is awesome. Shout out to my life group. Shout out your life groups because they are incredible. When we look at Jesus, we see God's truth that we were created for more than what we see. All people have a natural yearning for more. And we are always looking for something to satisfy that. And there is nothing in this world that can. You know, this past Friday night, Megan and I just got to experience the launch of Rocky Peak Singles. And I gotta say, first and foremost, to Christy and Joel and to all the volunteers and the teams that made it happen, that was such a beautiful experience. But one thing that deeply encouraged me as Joel was teaching, he was talking about how we were meant for more. And he says, God is writing his story on our hearts, a bigger story. I like how it's put there on your note sheet. Lee Strobel is an award-winning journalist out of Chicago, an atheist who sought out to disprove Christ and is now a pastor, scholar, theologian as a result of what he found. And he writes, when Jesus said that he's the truth in John 14, 6, there was a correspondence with reality. There was a matchup. He was faithfully and authentically representing to us who God is. He was the revelation of God and he genuinely lived out what human beings are supposed to be before God. So throughout this series, we've been asking a question of all worldviews and I'm gonna ask this question of ours right now. Does it make sense? Does it correspond with reality? And here's our foundation, Christ followers. Jesus is the truth for all people. Jesus is the truth for all nations. Jesus is the truth for all languages and all cultures. Jesus is the truth for all stories and situations. Jesus is the truth for all times. And how can I quantify this? Well, look around this room. We are blessed to have a large room filled with people who claim the name of Christ. But not only that, we are blessed to have a room filled with people who claim the name of Christ who are also radically different from one another. If you look around this room, there are different ages. There are different 
passions. There are different gifts. There are different nationalities and families and countries of origin. If you look around this room, there are different stories. There are different experiences. There have been different successes. There have been different traumas. And yet, all of us would say, we believe that the same Jesus is our truth. When you look at the diversity in our room, we would all say that Jesus makes sense for our reality. Let's take a step back and look around the world. When you look at certain places in which the gospel of the church of Jesus is growing, when you look at something like the underground church in China, when you look at how the church and the gospel is exploding in certain countries in Africa, when you look at how the church is growing more and more in certain persecuted countries like the Middle East, in which proclaiming the name of Jesus very really could lead you to execution. We, in those three examples, are radically different cultures, radically different day to day, and yet they would all say that Jesus is the truth for our reality. If we continue to go back in history and just look at the early church, the early church baffled the Romans. They referred to it as a cult because if you remember, they viewed us as the atheists because we rejected the pantheon of gods to follow the one true God. But one of the reasons why the early church baffled the Romans was because the early church was expanding beyond the normal boundaries that it kept people contained. The early church expanded beyond geographic boundaries. The early church expanded over racial boundaries and even hostilities. The early church expanded over age boundaries. The early church was expanding for both men and women. The early church was expanding beyond socioeconomic and political boundaries. And what did all of these different people realize was that Jesus is the truth for their reality. And so just by looking at all of those examples, I come back to this and I stand confidently to say that Jesus is the truth for all people, for all cultures, for all time, for all situations, for all hurts, for all passions, for all successes. Jesus is the truth that corresponds with all of our realities. And so that's just one example of how I would show proof. But again, it's good to continue to think, well, how do we continue to prove this? And there are many ways to go about this. If we want to prove that Jesus is the truth, there's ways we can approach this historically. There are ways we can approach this scientifically. There's ways we can approach this through anthropology. And those are all beautiful and wonderful. And there's times in which we're going to unpack some of those. But I want to go to the most profound and the simplest starting point. If I want to prove that Jesus is the truth and who he says he is, I'm going to start by letting Jesus speak for himself. And there as we wrap things up, there's a final section on your note sheet titled just that, letting Jesus speak for himself. If we're gonna say that Jesus is the ultimate revelation of God's truth, we need to make sure that we are building our lives and our worldview around the true Jesus. There are many false Jesuses out there. There are many false Jesuses in here. 
And so what we need to do is we, as believers, first and foremost, we need to take a step back and ask ourselves an honest question. Am I building my life around the Jesus that scripture reveals? Because how do you know you have a false Jesus? Well, when you take that Jesus and you compare him to the Jesus in the Bible, they're not gonna correspond. There might be some similarities, but they're ultimately gonna find themselves contradicting and radically, radically different. And often what can happen, even through the best intentions, whether culture or us as the church, we can take a single verse or saying of Jesus and we can construct an entire Jesus around it that is too small and misses out on the bigger truth the Bible teaches. So let me give you a couple of examples. In Matthew chapter five, Jesus beautifully teaches and commands Christ followers, love your enemies. And again, I don't have the time to get into, but that is a command. Love your enemies. And so there are times in which we can grab that and beautifully go, I want to love people well. I want to love people beautifully because Jesus has commanded that. But sometimes what can happen is we can run with that and we don't know how to reconcile or embrace the fact that Jesus not only says, love your enemies, but Jesus also says, hey, there is such a thing as wrath and judgment that is coming. There are times in which we have to draw lines in the sand and go, this is a primary issue. Or let's flip that around. Sometimes we can read something like in John chapter nine, when Jesus says, I have come for judgment. And we sit there and go, I like that because I've got some people in mind. <laughs> I've got some groups in mind. Jesus, you show them who you are. You show them your wrath. You show them how dare they and it doesn't encompass the truth of loving our enemies. And for some of us, when it comes to embracing the truth, Jesus, we sit there and go, well, how do we hold both those things together? Well, that's what following and learning at the feet of Jesus helps us understand. There again from Lee Strobel on your note sheet, if Jesus is God's unique revelation to us, then we wanna follow what he said and did. We shouldn't be trying to create our own Jesus or our own set of doctrine because then we are denying reality. Jesus reflects reality. So we need to align ourselves with him. And so how do we let Jesus speak for himself? You're filling is we engage with scripture. We engage with scripture. And this is my charge, this is my invitation to you, whether you are a skeptic or you are a believer. When we engage with scripture, primarily those four gospels that reveal the life and teachings of Jesus, we begin to look for these questions of what does it say that Jesus actually did? What did Jesus actually say? We begin to wrestle with the question of, has the Jesus I've been following match with the Jesus from the Bible? What is the Jesus of the gospel challenging in me? Where am I uncomfortable with what Jesus said and did? Where is reading the Bible raising doubts I have about Jesus and God? And again, that is very, very good things. And so when we engage in scripture, we are allowing God's voice 
to reveal truth about who his son is. And so if you need a starting point, I would recommend starting to read through Matthew's gospel. And the reason I recommend Matthew is just because it's my favorite. (laughs) I would recommend that you start reading Matthew's gospel and parents, reading a gospel with your children is a wonderful opportunity to expose them to the real Jesus. And so let us be a people that engage with scripture. And with that, as we invite the worship team to come on out, I wanna recommend one practical resource. One of the most important tools we can have in learning how to think well and think deeply about our faith is something called a study Bible. What a study Bible is, is that it takes the translation of scripture and then it adds some notes, some context to help us understand. And study Bibles aren't meant to be exhaustive or else they'd be incredibly thick. And often they have a certain focus of that they're trying to show through context or through um, or draw attention to. And so one of the study Bibles that I really like, particularly for what we've been uh, unpacking this morning is what's called the Jesus Study Bible. And the Jesus Study Bible, this one in my hand is the NIV translation, what we use here at Rocky Peak. The focus of the Jesus Study Bible is to show how all of scripture reveals Jesus and reveals who he is and how scripture is, the, is all a one big account about the truth that is found in Jesus. And I love the tools that it uses for it. First and foremost, when you turn to the beginning of any of the 66 books and letters of scripture, it'll have a statement of what we're gonna learn about Jesus in that book or letter. It says like, this one is an example from Second Chronicles in the Old Testament. It says, Jesus, our true worship. And as you flip through it, it'll use certain examples on the side. Like as I go through Second Chronicles, when it's talking about King Solomon, who had a spectacular beginning and failed pretty miserably near the end. It talks about how Jesus is our true promised Solomon to come. As you go through Second Chronicles and other places in the New Testament, when it talks about the temple, there are notes to say that Jesus is the true temple. And because of him, we then become the temple through his death and resurrection. So this is an incredible tool and you can just get it on Amazon. It's called the Jesus Bible, but I find this really helpful when seeing Jesus revealed through scripture. And so as we go ahead and close with our last song of worship, it's a song that's familiar to us. It's one that I love because we get to declare like a creed from old, what we believe. And I wanna encourage you, Rocky Peak, after I pray, let us sing this loudly, let us sing this proudly, let us sing this confidently because Jesus is the revelation of God's truth. Amen? Let's pray. Jesus, you are the truth. And there's times when I wrestle, there's times when I disagree, but it never changes who you are. It never changes what you reveal. It never changes your grace and your mercy, your power, your spirit in us, your authority. And so here we are, Jesus, as your church, we saying we wanna be a people of truth. If we want our culture and our world to experience the truth of Jesus, it has to start with us. And so we know you're here. And when we're done, we know we're gonna take you with us. And so thank you for not only this time in your word, but thank you for this time through song to declare what is true. And we sing it with joy. We sing it with confidence, even in the midst of wrestling. Because of you, we can do both. Thank you for being the truth. It's in your name, King Jesus. We all said, amen. Let's.